I was out last Sunday. Some people were asking me how I feel. I feel fine. I woke up with vertigo last Sunday. That's never happened to me before. I guess that's dizziness, right? So I probably could have come, but I would have been listing to one side. Actually, I went out and ran, but it just wouldn't go away. But it resolved by the end of the day, so I'm fine. I watched uh, the sermon later on on YouTube. Uh, Scott Blount did a, uh, probably preached one of the best sermons on gratitude I have ever heard. So Scott Blount always works on himself. One thing I, I appreciate him, I was talking about growth in my Devo this morning. He continues to grow spiritually. He's reading good books. If I ever want a reference for a great book, I often will ask Scott and he Continues to work on his delivery and use his technology, so I, I just appreciate him so much. And the shirt that he had on, if you didn't see the sermon, go back and watch it just to see this wonderful, i got to get a Hawaiian shirt like that. He looked really good. But uh, let me start here with Dear Abby. Dear Abby, I have been retired from teaching for many years and would like to share a lesson I learned that stands out in my memory like no other. I was young and teaching math at the junior high level. We'd worked hard on a new concept all week, and the students were stressed. They were frowning, frustrated, and carping at each other and me, wanting to stop the crankiness before it got out of hand. I asked the students in the room to take out two sheets of paper and list the names of the other students in the room, leaving a space between each name. Then I told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class period to finish the assignment, and when the students handed me the papers and left, they seemed more relaxed. That weekend, I wrote the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper and listed what the students had said about that individual. And then on Monday, I gave each student his or her list, and before long, everyone was smiling. Really, I heard one whisper, I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I didn't know anyone liked me that much. The assignment was never mentioned again, but it didn't matter because the exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students felt better about themselves and about each other. It's just amazing what a word of encouragement can accomplish. Now, next month is December, so we're moving into the Christmas season. A lot of people will be thinking about gifts, of course. Now, what do you give to someone who has everything? And most of us, we're, we're prosperous Americans, so we not only have what we need, oftentimes we have everything we want as well. well. What I want to talk about today is a gift that we can give to any person because everyone needs this, everyone wants it, and that is encouragement. And we're going to look at, we're going to look at the example of, of someone who is called, his nickname is actually encouragement in the Bible. But before we do that, I want us to think about this. If you're a Christian today, you have received encouragement from God. God encourages Christians. Just a couple of verses here, Romans 15, 4. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. In the next verse, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, but God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us. And God, in turn, expects us to encourage others. So we're kind of re-gifting this. We're, we receive this gift from God, and then we re-gift it to others. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage each other and build each other up. 2 Corinthians 13.11, encourage each other. Ephesians 4.29, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. 
All right, to our example, first of all, I'm going to say three things. Let's look at the need for encouragement. Let's think about that. The need for encouragement, Acts 9.26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Now, why would these Christians in the first Christian church of Jerusalem be afraid of Saul? Well, if you know Saul's backstory, you know the answer to that. Before he had his conversion experience, he was a self-appointed persecutor of the church. Just back up one chapter in the book of Acts, and Luke records this about Saul. Acts 8.3, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And that was in this very church in Jerusalem. And now he wants to become a member so, of course, they're very suspicious. Is, is Paul the real deal? Is he authentic or is he just faking it? Is he a wolf in sheep's clothing? He's trying to spy us out, get some more names, put more of us in prison. So they're, they are afraid of him. And that had to be discouraging for Saul. He's carrying all this baggage with him in the church, and, and baggage can be discouraging. I'm, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe I can relate to that. Anybody here have any baggage that they're carrying? Have all of us lived a perfectly consistent Christian life since when we were born right up to this time? Or maybe we've made a few decisions that we regret in the past. Maybe some old sins. Somebody said, old sins cast long shadows. Regrets, I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. Who sang that? Frank Sinatra. No, Elvis Presley. Actually, it's both. But I go with the Elvis version. I was trying to do a little Elvis right there. And I'm thinking, regrets, I've had a few. Regrets, I've had a lot. Too many to mention. So some of us are carrying baggage. I mean, some of you got like a whole set of Samsonite that you're carrying along. It's on the wheels, and it's still too heavy. We're forgiven of our sins, but sometimes the consequences, they stay with us for a long time. And those consequences can be discouraging. Those aren't the only discouraging factors in our lives. There, there are others. Those little cards in the chairs in front of you, people can write prayer requests on. And Andre, the secretary, she takes those prayer requests and makes a list that she emails out to the church every Monday. And if you want to get that list and pray for those folks and those needs, you, you can get on that email list. But all you have to do is read through the prayer requests that come from this congregation to know or to, to reaffirm that people are living through very discouraging circumstances. Right? There are people that are, that are dealing with grief. Some have financial issues, a lot of health issues, a lot of folks who are caretakers for those who have chronic pain in their lives. There's enmity and stress between families. All of that is weighing on people. So we're just talking right now that there is a great need for encouragement. The person sitting in front of you, behind you, next to you, needs encouragement. I'm looking at you right now. A lot of you look like you really need encouragement. In fact, turn to someone right now and say, you look like you need encouragement. Yeah. Don't you hate it when a preacher does that? The, the introverts hate that. John Maxwell wrote, you should never forget that everyone needs encouragement and everyone who receives it who receives it, young or old, successful, less than successful, unknown or famous, is changed by it. 
A word of encouragement is oxygen for the soul. It's oxygen for the soul. The churn rate in the average church is 18 to 22%. Churn rate, the turnover. And our church is right there with it every year, 18 to 22%. New people coming in, old people going out. Why do people leave a church? All kinds of reasons. It might be stylistic, could be a doctrinal issue. Uh, sometimes, believe it or not, it's the preacher, something the preacher says or does, or doesn't say or do. You know, but, and sometimes people just fail to make a connection and they fall through the cracks you know, and, and out they go. Everybody needs encouragement. We're not going to rub shoulders with anybody today, either in here or outside in the business world. If we're, if we're a student or in the grocery stores, we're going about our life in our neighborhood. Everybody we're bumping into is dealing with some kind of issue, oftentimes a crisis, and is in need of encouragement. So we just, we know that, just reaffirming that. Second thing I want to say, I want to look at the qualities of an encourager. All right, moving on in Acts chapter 9 and verse 27. But Barnabas took a hold of Saul and brought him to the apostles and described to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him, talked to the Lord, and how at Damascus, Saul had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So into this sad and discouraging situation comes an encourager. It's Barnabas. His given name is Joseph. But he goes by Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's his nickname. He's so effective at encouragement. That's what people call him. He's the encourager. What if there was some omniscient narrator right now looking at your life, looking at my life, and giving us a nickname? Would our nickname be son of encouragement or daughter of encouragement? Or it be a son or a daughter of discouragement? A little introspection. How do, what do people think when they see us coming? Do they think, oh, all right, here they come. I'm going to get a nice breath of fresh air. I'm going to get a big heaping helping of encouragement. Or do they think, oh, great, this person's going to suck the life right out of me for the rest of this day. All right, just I'll think about me, you think about you, but, but what role are we playing? Are we like Barnabas and encourager? And I just want to think about some of the qualities here. If you were thinking about Barnabas and what he did here, what would be the qualities of an encourager? And we could name many. But I'm just going to, I just note that he was observant, first of all. He noticed what was going on. He wasn't just had the blinders on and thinking about his own circumstances. He notices the dynamics that are going on in the congregation there at that church in Jerusalem. And I think this is where the introverts have a little bit, maybe, of an edge over the extroverts. Now, we love you extroverts. I'm an introvert married to an extrovert. We need the extroverts. We need you to be the life of the party. We like that. But sometimes the extroverts are so busy being the life of the party and emoting all over everybody that they don't necessarily notice right, the, the subtle dynamics, the nuances that are going on in a group. Whereas the introverts are hanging back a little bit and they got their eyes open and they see. They see the Saul's. They see the person who's maybe sitting by themselves and been here for two months, hasn't necessarily made those connections, and they're, they're all by themselves, and they see that. This may be a big advantage for, to be an encourager. It's a little on the introverted side. And I noticed something else about him. Uh, he took the initiative. He was bold. Barnabas was bold. Went right up to Saul. He's the one that made the connection, took the initiative, introduced himself. 
I just picture him putting an arm around Saul's shoulders and saying, come here, I want to introduce you to some guys. He introduces them to the 12 apostles. You talk about an inner circle. You can't get any further in than the 12 apostles in the church at Jerusalem and says a good word on his behalf. I know this Saul has got some baggage here, but let me tell you, you guys saw the risen Lord. He saw the risen Lord. He's been preaching in his name over there in Damascus. We may want to cut this guy some slack. So very bold, takes the initiative. We don't want to hang back. Well, if, if he speaks to me, maybe I'll speak to him. She says something to me, maybe I'll say something back. We want to be the initiator. I was putting on the Christmas lights, the outside my house yesterday, and a couple walked around and not seen them before, this young couple. They started talking to me about the lights, where'd you get the lights, and so on and so forth. And after about two minutes, the guy stuck out his hand, said, how you doing? My name's Brandon. I didn't do that to him. He did that to me. I said, hey, Brandon, nice to meet you. He said, this is Britta, my wife. This is our dog. Forgot the dog's name. But nevertheless, we're talking, and, and I, I like that. Sometimes we think, oh, they'll think I'm pushy in a social situation. I'm not talking if you're in the department store and somebody, some salesman comes over. You know, he's working you. Talk, in a social situation, whenever someone has boldly taken the initiative and come over and stuck out their hand and said, this is my name, what's your name? I've always liked it. I appreciate it. I think people really appreciate that. But I noticed that about Barnabas. He was bold and he took the initiative. Seemed to be curious as well. How did he know Saul's backstory? Had to ask him a question. It's amazing to me in a social situation how, how many times people don't ask a question. Ask somebody about their life. When I was in sales, John, did you ever learn the acronym FORM, F-O-R-M? All right, I think you learned it a little different from me, but for me it was F is family. So you talk about someone's family. O was occupation. What, you know, what do you do? What have you done? What did you retire from? Do you like your job? Do you like what you do? R is religion. Maybe talk a little bit about the church background was or where do you find your hope in life or whatnot if you get that far in the conversation. And M is message. As if it's sales pitch. It's during the message part. For us, it might be just inviting someone to church. But that's a little thing. And see, those kind of things are helpful for me to Learn how to engage people and talk a little bit and learn their story. So Barnabas was curious about Saul and learned his story. And then basic friendliness. Most of what we're talking about here is just basic friendliness. How many of the one another's in the Bible are just about being friendly, love one another, be kind to one another, pray for one another? You know, it's just, just the basic thing right there. Uh, looking around to see if we have any young student types in here. Okay, so when I was out of the ministry and in sales, like I said, for several years, and so we were church shopping in Orlando, just like everybody church shops from time to time. And I'd picked out this one church, the Metro Church of Christ. I knew the doctrine was right, so check that. I like the preacher. But we went there for church one Sunday. There was one X factor I, I had to keep my eye on, and that was our two kids. So Katie and Stephen were just middle schoolers at that time. So we visited the church, and we're talking to people afterwards, but out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching Katie and Stephen. I want to know what happens with them. And one of the young people in their, their student group came over, introduced himself, just we're standing out in the courtyard, introduced himself to Stephen and Katie, said, come on over here, I want you to meet some of the students in, in the youth group. And when I saw that, when Tammy saw that, we said, box checked, this is going to be our church. And any students who are here or watching online, you know, a lot of parents, that's what they're praying and hoping will happen for their family and their kids. Bear that in mind. There's so much power that's available to that, so much influence that we have, but not just students. 
the parents and adults are looking for that kind of connection as well, that kind of friendliness. I, I read about a business course, a Harvard business course, where they had this final exam, and there were 10 questions. The first nine were essay questions, but the 10th question was this. What is the name of the lady who cleans this facility every day? And one student handed in his paper and asked the professor, is that really going to count toward the grade? The professor said, absolutely. In your business life, you will encounter many people. And some of them you'll see on a regular basis, and it may not be your client, but every single one of them is important. And just on a very basic level, we need to say hi, learn their name, learn their name. Everyone's important. Just some qualities of an encourager. Okay, and then I want to finish with the power of encouragement. The power of an encourager. And verse 29, Acts 9, 29. And so Saul was with them, with them in the church, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas did his thing, and apparently uh, it did the trick. And after this, you know, any friend of Barnabas, he had such gravitas in the church, any friend of Barnabas was all right. And Saul was assimilated into the congregation, moving about freely and was doing his thing. That, that in itself. What a great reward that must have been for Barnabas. Just to know that played the role of a connector and helped somebody get established in a church congregation. Maybe kept them from slipping through the cracks. And not only not just going to this church anymore, that church anymore, maybe never going to a church again. Maybe being separated from faith and from grace altogether. Well, that in itself would be a reward, but there's another, there's another X factor. And the X factor is this. We never know when we encourage someone and help them get rooted into the kingdom of God, what contribution they are ultimately going to make to the kingdom. That's the X factor. So Barnabas did this for Saul, but what, what did Saul go on to contribute to the church? Name was changed to Paul, Apostle Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Three missionary journeys. Planting churches left and right. That was Paul's contribution to become the most influential Christian in history. Now, Barnabas didn't know all of that at the time. Would Saul slash Paul have done those things even if Barnabas had not played this role of encourager? Maybe, maybe. We don't know. But we do know Barnabas was right there traveling with Saul on his first missionary journey, playing that all-important support role Second-hand man encouraging him all of the way. X factor. I read, I, I, I really didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't do the, the research to know if this is true, but I had read that Gandhi, early in his life, Gandhi was considering becoming a Christian. had been reading the New Testament, decided to visit a church. He went and visited a church, and he was going up the steps, this large church building, and a white elder met him at the top step and said, where are you going? He said, I'd like to visit the church. The elder said, I'm sorry, no coffers in this church. No coffers allowed, which was a, a racial epithet at that place and at that time. And so Gandhi made a decision then. He said, being a Christian means being a part of a church. I'm not going to do it. I'll take what's good from the New Testament, and that's it. You can't help but wonder if that's true. If Gandhi had encountered a son of encouragement on those steps, that day, instead of a son of discouragement, how the history of Christianity in India might have been totally, totally different. The X factor, the power 
of encouragement. Dale Carnegie said, you and I have it within our power to increase the sum total of happiness right now. How? By giving a few words of appreciation to someone who's lonely or discouraged. Perhaps you will forget tomorrow the kind words you say today, but the recipient may cherish them over a lifetime. Let me finish up with Dear Abby, the rest of that contribution. The teacher writes, years later, I was asked to attend the funeral of one of those students, a promising young man. Even when I taught him in junior high school, I was deeply saddened by his untimely death in Vietnam. The church was packed with Mark's friends, many of whom had been his classmates and students of mine. After the funeral, I and many of Mark's former classmates were invited to his parents' house. They approached me and said, we want to show you something. Mark was carrying this when he was killed. His father pulled something from a wallet. It was the list of all the good things Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. A group of Mark's classmates overheard the exchange. One smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in my top desk drawer at home. Another said, I have mine too. It's in my diary. A third said, I put mine in our wedding album. And a fourth said, I bet we all saved them. I carry mine with me at all times. That's when I finally sat down and cried. The lesson my former students taught me that day became a standard in every class I taught for the rest of my teaching career. Sister, HPM, St. Paul, Minnesota. You know, the Hebrew writer says that we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. He says, don't give up the, the habit of assembling together. Rather, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Jesus' return.